Hi, I'm Millie Thomas, an eating disorder recovery coach. We've created this podcast to raise awareness about all types of eating disorders and help dispel some of the many myths and stigma that unfortunately still surround them. It's hard for me to pinpoint where and when my eating disorder began. It feels like it's like a drug. You know it's bad because you know like this is hurting me but it somehow makes you feel like you're doing something right. He just couldn't sense that I was hopeless. You get to that point where you just you just don't know what to do. This is the End Eating Disorders podcast brought to you by Lockaway Self Storage and Podspot. I began rereading my diaries and actually it enabled me to grieve for the little girl that got horribly lost and I just wanted to take her hand and help her get get out of that terribly dark forest that she was lost in for so many years. You're enough, you're more than enough, and you will always be enough. My eating disorder started at seven. It's been a long and at times slow process. <sighs> the eating disorder's in charge, and your daughter's not there. There is hope at endad.org.au. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today I have the amazing Holly Ogden with me and Holly is going to share her eating disorder journey with us and talk to us about why she is more passionate than ever before about using her lived experience to help others. Thank you so much for joining me today, Holly. No worries, thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Now I would like to begin with you giving our listeners a little bit of an overview of your journey with your eating disorder. It's hard for me to pinpoint where and when my eating disorder began. Um, From a young age, I've always been a child who would choose a carrot stick over a breadstick at a party. Um, I've always been conscious of what I put in my body and always had this weird kind of obsession of having healthy, clean foods. Um, So it's hard for me to pinpoint where and when my eating disorder journey began and what exactly triggered it. Um, I do know that I was at the age of 16 when everything came spiraling down fast and hard and that was when I was very committed to my sporting. I was competing sport at a national level so I was training, training profusely and eating so healthy, clean, everything as my coach requested. Um, and it was then that I began becoming obsessed with exercise. So I was using exercise as my permission to eat, um, which was when I was diagnosed with orthorexia. Um, I was at 16 still when I let myself become totally, totally vulnerable around food. I let my mind overtake my actions, my, which then overtook all my body. Um, I became this skeleton figure that was so oblivious to what I actually was and how ill I was. Um, It was then I was admitted into hospital. Um, I was in hospital bedridden for about three months, tube fed, and still totally oblivious to the fact that I had a problem. I always thought the doctors and the nurses were just being dramatic telling me that I had a problem. I, it took me months and months and months to recognise that I really did have a problem. Um, even, even being tube fed, I still 
I still didn't know that I had a problem. Um, so I spent a good two to three months in hospital and then it was my mum who got me out and we opted for the family-based therapy um, because the doctors and all the medical professionals were not going to let me graduate school, which was from grade eight. It was all I wanted to do was go to my school formals and they were going to refuse that. So mum took me out of hospital and we we did it ourselves from home, took a lot of tears, yelling, crying, screaming at each other, but we're here now um, through the other side, but it was definitely a tough journey and yeah. I can't, I can't pinpoint where and when it happened. It just came so, so fast and, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes it's like that, isn't it? You sort of, you're in it and you're in so deep before you even recognise what's, what's actually going on and everyone's sort of going, hey, alarm bells here yeah. and you're oblivious to it, as you say. Yeah. It was really interesting to me that even from a young age, you really had that uh, obsession with needing things to be healthy. Was that something that came from, you know, were your, was your family quite conscious about what they ate? Was it something that, you know, you, you heard at school? Was there anything that was an external kind of force that made that happen or was it just something that you innately did? Um. It's definitely nothing that has stemmed from my family or upbringing. We've always had, I was always allowed to eat whatever I wanted, wh- whenever I wanted. We always had chips in the cupboard. We always had vegetables. Like we had such a balanced diet and it was always my choice what I wanted to eat. Um, so it was definitely not influenced by my family or upbringing by any means. I would probably more say that I have always, always been a, athletic person Mm. um I was always competing from primary school so I just put a lot of pressure on myself and I've always been an overachiever so I'm not sure not sure why it stemmed and how it stemmed because my parents they've they've never suffered from an eating disorder or it's never been in our family it's it was just a I was just a random egg, I guess. Random <laughs> egg, I love it. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because I'm very similar in terms of the fact that we grew up with every type of food, you know, yeah. in the house and a really healthy, balanced re- relationship or approach to it. Yeah. Um, and 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 similarly, like I I never really well, like you, I was quite competitive, and you know, and I I think that sort of played into it. I mean, your brain just latches on to something in particular and then before you know it you're so far gone yeah um and I think it's incredible isn't it when we reflect on our journey and we think about like for example when you were saying you're in hospital and even though you're being tube fed and you are on bed rest that you still are not seeing that there's an issue right yeah Yeah. and it's crazy but at the time you just don't do you no absolutely not the amount of time that my the doctors and my nurses, I was on 24-hour watch by nurses. I, I couldn't even wriggle my knees. I was under that strict of um, security. And I even, I ended up in the cardiac ward and I still, I still had no idea that I had an issue. My heart stopped because it was so malnourished and I, I still wouldn't accept the fact that I had an eating disorder. I was still 
thinking that everybody was being so dramatic, just let me live my life, let me do what I want to do. So it's crazy how, how overbearing the mind can be towards your body. Yeah, and that voice is just so strong. So strong, just, so loud. Yeah. <laughs> so loud. I always used to think, like, how can people not hear what's going on in my head? Like, it, it absolutely, like I would ask mum, like, how do you not understand? How can you not hear this? Like, this is a voice yelling at me, telling me not to eat. Yeah. It's crazy. It's brutal. <laughs> it is literally this insidious beast of a thing that you feel is just there bullying you day in and day out and like you say it's so loud I used to often just take a moment and look at everyone else just getting on with their lives right and just peacefully happily doing their thing and you know your your head is just yelling at you 24 7 and and the idea of ever being able to escape that is almost seems impossible at the time, and I, w- I remember one of the things that I loved about recovering was the fact that you didn't have that thing <laughs> yelling at you at, like, full force every moment of every day. It was, like, this brain space that actually used to do other things. Yeah. Yes, it's very it, – it consumes a lot of your mental capacity, that's for sure. Yeah. If someone hasn't experienced an eating disorder before, how would you describe it to them in terms of how it feels – you know, mentally, physically, spiritually, to experience that day in and day out? You're just not there mentally, spiritually and physically. You are not there. Who I was when I was suffering my eating disorder was not Holly. It, I had no idea who it was, so it just totally blocks, blocks all your emotions, all your spirits, everything. Um, physically, you're absolutely exhausted, but in the midst of it, you don't, you don't recognise your exhaustion. Your body has, your body has learnt to cope on nothing. Yeah. So it, it's like your eating disorder is telling you to jump, and your body's just asking how high. It, it's you're totally controlled. I always, I've always said that living a life as an eating disorder is like living your life as a puppeteer. Like you are the puppet, and your eating disorder is controlling everything. Is calling all the shots and you're just doing it without even thinking. Um, the biggest thing with living with an eating disorder is it is it is like an addiction. It, you become so intimate with your eating disorder that it's like when you're recovering, it's like a part of your soul, a part of your life is leaving you. You don't know... You don't know what life is like without your eating disorder. You have to teach yourself how to how to live again, how to breathe again, how to eat again, what it feels like to be hungry. You don't you don't recognise the feelings of being hungry when you have an eating disorder. So it's it's like starting from the beginning. Learning what foods you like, not not knowing like what foods you don't like because of how many calories or carbs are in it. It's it's just starting from day one again, really. <laughs> It so is, you're right. Like I often say, it was like learning how to live again. Yeah. Because it infiltrates every single part of your life. And so therefore, every single part of your life has to, to sort of be re- restructured, so to speak, to create a new normal where there is no room for the eating disorder. Yeah, it's totally blocking. You need to learn how to block everything 
from your eating disorder, which takes time, takes a lot of time and a lot of dedication. But I guess that's why we're here today to make people know that it is possible. That's the thing, you know, and I think often people and, and clients say it to me all the time still, but I, I, I can't do that. It's like, well, no, you can. And I'm sure, and both of us would have said that at times as well. And said, oh, well, no, it's impossible. We can't do that, you know, when we were in the depths of it. But the reality of it is you can, but you have to choose, you know, to let go of your eating disorder. You have to choose to take the option that is going to absolutely scare you shitless, but is going to be ultimately the thing that is going to get you free. Yeah, absolutely. You need to set your mind to your recovery. It takes realising that you have a problem to be able to recover. Um, if I was if I was asked when I got discharged from hospital to recover, there is n- absolutely no chance I would have because I would, still thought I had no issue. I thought everybody was just over overreacting. I was normal. Um, so it's when you turn your full mind, your full focus, your full direction to recovering that you will recover. Absolutely. I always say recovery is a full-time job. Yes, big time. <laughs> um, now, were there moments during those years when you were unwell that you felt hopeless? And how did you keep that, that hope alive, that hope that you could get through it? Um. In the middle of my anorexia, absolutely not. I felt on top of the world. I was kicking goals. I was getting down to the weight that I wanted to. Um, I thought I was just doing amazing. And then <laughs> I turned really to... Really acing this anorexia <laughs> I was game. Like, I am on it. form. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't until I turned to recovery that I lost hope. I felt hopeless. I There was no way... I would have been able to mute the voice in my head. I thought that no matter what I would do, no matter what I thought, there was no, absolutely no way that I could overcome. It wasn't until I looked in the mirror one night and I seen what everybody else was seeing. I seen this skeleton figure that I felt hopeless. I felt like I could not face food without crying or screaming or kicking. Um, this is when I felt most hopeless. There were days there there were days I felt where there was absolutely no way I was going able, going to be able to mute the deafening voice in my head. The closer I got to food, the louder it got. So I would honestly just put recovery in the too hard basket and take ten steps back. Mm. Um I felt like there was no use. I was never going to get better. This voice was never, never going to quite, quite down. It was just so loud. And as I was recovering, I, I went through a serious stage of depression. I was going to sleep hoping that I would not wake up. So then I wouldn't have to face food the next day. I was on, I had very OCD kind of, time slots of when I would eat and I dreaded those times so I was going to I was going to bed hoping praying to God that I would not wake up for the simple fact that I wouldn't have to face food ever again so I felt totally hopeless I felt I felt like there was no 
no space in this world for me anymore while I was recovering. How did you how did you push through that? How did you how did you manage to find some hope amongst all of that and, and keep going? I think it was my determination to play sport again. I had for so long since my eating disorder hospitalized me, I obviously had to stop competing and that's what shattered me. I remember going to my first game back and I could not run my I had no muscle density. I had nothing to keep me upright. So I think that determination is what kept that little piece of hope. I knew that my body was capable of recovering. I knew what my body is capable of. So I fueled my body to be able to compete to be able to compete again. So that's how I kept my hope alive is just seeing the bigger picture and knowing knowing what I am capable of doing if I put my mind to it, which ultimately was competing again. It's so fantastic and I think, you know, it's really, really important for people to recognise um, this is another example of how everyone's recovery journey is different, right? Because as you said before, there is often this idea that uh, that's not, you know, a, a possible way to recover in terms of, the, the exercise and things like that but when it's such a, a passion and it's such a driving force for someone then it can be used as a really really positive motivating factor and as you say you knew that you needed to fuel yourself in order to compete uh, to the best of your ability and so I, I think that's wonderful that you're able to use use something like that to help pull you through. Yeah everybody everybody that we tell or I tell what got me through it is it blows their mind to know that the gym really can help somebody through anorexia. Um, I guess it all comes down to the kind of person you are. I've never been the kind of person that could sit down on a couch and watch movies or I've always been an active, active child. So to not be able to move also pushed me to my recovery because I – I didn't know life without moving. Absolutely. I'm very much the same. We have a very <laughs> active family, you know, very active childhood. And my mum always used to say, even when I was a toddler, she would have to have, you know, three activities planned ahead of the activity that I was, you know, yeah. currently doing because I was just on the go. You know, my mind and my body were always just super active. Um, and I think it's great that you recognise that that is a part of your personality. And even though the eating disorder took that and ran with it, it doesn't mean that you can't then still take uh, it back. <laughs> take it back exactly and have it as part of your life. And I think, I think what's important around around the gym thing is that. You know, obviously you were surrounded um, by positive people in that yeah. environment because I think often what happens in those gym environments is that there is a lot of toxicity and there's a lot of focus on the wrong type of things and that's where things can, you know, go down a rabbit hole, so to speak. But it sounds to me like you were in a really positive um, environment that really fostered uh, your recovery. Yes, definitely. I My gym was more of it. It was more of an educational tool for me through my recovery. So although we weren't focused on me actually completing a workout <laughs> because that would just make no sense, it was more the fact of my PT teaching me that you cannot lift this weight if you don't eat this food. And do you, do you enjoy food now? Is food a pleasure for you? 
Um, yes and no. I have my good days and I have my bad days. Um, I like eating in the company of my own. I enjoy food most then. Um, I still have a little bit of social anxiety, so to speak. So I, I get worked up before I go to a social event where there's going to be food or a platter or it's a dinner event. I, I still have that anxiety of what people are thinking about seeing me eat or because I've always been somebody who nobody had seen eat. <laughs> yeah. So it, enjoying food in my own company would be the short answer to that. Okay. Okay. So eventually you will get to a space yes. where that, but and it's all, it's, it's a process. And I think, you know, for me, um, letting go of what other people thought about me in general, as well as around food and things like that was a massive um, part of my recovery, but it is possible because at the end of the day, what you think about yourself um, and what you're doing for you is far more important than what anybody else thinks of any of that stuff. Yeah. I always have that in the back of my head. It's just overcoming that. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And that healthy self-voice will get stronger and stronger. Yeah. (laughs) Have you got any lasting physical implications from your eating disorder? Did you lose your period? Um, I was on the pill the whole time through my journey, so I never actually lost my period, but my doctor told me that should I have not been on the pill, then I most definitely would have lost my period in saying that I do have, um, fertility issues now. So I, it's hard for them to say whether it has been um, caused by my anorexia, but I have endometriosis and polycystic ovaries. So that has definitely affected my fertility and they think that that has come from my anorexia due to being so malnourished and not having that regular egg release. How do you think competing at a national level with your sport contributed to the development of your eating disorder? Um, I can't exactly put the development of my eating disorder entirely to competing sport at a national level. However, I do, I do think it contributed in some shape or form. Um, I've always been an overachiever and a competitive person, as is anybody who is a um, national competitor. Um, So when it comes to goal setting, I have this goal in my mind and I will not give up until I achieve it. And I guess in this circumstance, I had, I had a goal to look more athletic, which is, it makes no sense now because there's no one definition of what an athletic person looks like. I just thought at at the time that I just wanted to be thinner, the thinner I was, the more athletic I would look or the fitter I would look. It was all, it all came down to the perception of what, how others seen me that got me caught up, really. I thought the thinner, the thinner I would be, the faster I would run. That's a lie because it actually made me incapable of running in the end. <laughs> and at the time I was training training at least five days a week so 
it was a perfect excuse for me to train three times a day or at the end of the day I would go down to the shed for my third sweat out because I could put it down to the excuse of training for the upcoming World Cup. Um, so I think I think I used competing at that level as an excuse to torture my body. It was definitely something that would have played right into anorexia's hands. Yes, it was it definitely became an addiction to to exercising and to training and then I would I I would lie I would say that I was doing it to better my fitness or I was doing it to perform better on the field but really in reality I was doing it to torture myself I was doing it to listen to the voice in my head I was doing it because not because I wanted to do it, I was doing it because I felt like I was made doing to do it by my eating disorder. I know that feeling all too well. <laughs> <laughs> Did you suffer uh, from any like judgment or stigma during your journey? I am sure I did suffer a lot of judgment and stigma. However, I kind of removed myself from all social, social situations before I could hear it or recognise it. So I didn't experience it personally, but I know that there were comments going around the school because I was at the age where girls are the nastiest that I've ever been at the age of 16. But I had my family and close friends have been a supportive, the most supportive network from day dot. So I trust that they would have stuck up for me at my most vulnerable stage should anybody have said a negative comment and for that I guess I well I definitely am eternally grateful for I wouldn't be where I am today without my family and my close friends they've been they've been my nut through it all um during my recovery I still had excluded myself from all social occasions so I would not go to a party I would not go out for dinner with the girls I wouldn't go for a picnic so I guess they probably judged me then because every time there was food involved, I would say that I was busy. Little do they know that I was probably down the shed doing squats or something. But the most hurtful judgment that I that I copped through my recovery was when I returned to the field first time and I I thought I was absolutely nailing my recovery. I thought I had thought I had recovered all my weight. I thought I was doing so well until this one girl and I remember it I remember it like yesterday I can see this girl's face in my in my mind it's it scarred me for life um she commented on how thin I was at the end of the game and that totally knocked me off my pedestal if she had told me that comment two months earlier it would have been music to my ears but at that time when I was so focused on my recovery I I broke down in tears. I left the field, went straight to the car and I think I cried for about two hours. I was crying to my mum and dad. I was like, what am I doing this for? Nobody's recognising the hard work I'm putting in. Like, it's, it's not showing anything. People are still telling me how thin I look. I know that I'm thin. So that's the most most judgment I got, I guess, that I heard myself anyway is to be told that I was very thin, like as if I didn't already know that. But <laughs> yeah, it's 
and that's another thing I want people to be aware of is I don't you shouldn't you shouldn't compliment people on their appearance because you never know what they're battling at that time and that's a clear example of that because I thought that I was doing so well and then to be knocked off like that to somebody else it may have been a huge compliment but you don't know what you don't know what's going on through their head so that's my piece of advice to those people is to keep your comments to yourself when somebody's really thin (laughs) oh I completely agree it's like fat shaming you don't fat shame so you shouldn't thin shame exactly yes exactly let's just not comment no one I don't feel like anyone has the right to comment on anyone else's body shape no it's just like it just should be a blanket rule it's a no-go zone (laughs) (laughs) have you come to a place of acceptance with your body now I wouldn't say I've come to a place of complete acceptance I have come to a point in my life where I can accept who I am um, I have definitely found peace within my own skin and I can definitely appreciate how fortunate I am to have a body which is capable of being strong and healthy no matter what it has been through. I've learned how to be grateful for the body in which I've been given and I've been in my health and my sanity so I'm grateful for that. I've learned also to be kind to my body as, as I'm sure everybody else I have my good days and my bad days. Like we're females every month. We one hundred percent we can blow out. <laughs> so in terms of that, I I appreciate the body that I've been blessed with and I accept it some days and some days I it's not that I don't accept it, but I do sometimes have thoughts that I wish I looked a different way and then I slap myself around the head and tell myself (laughs) that it's never going to happen Holly you've been given this body for a reason but I've definitely come to terms that my body is valuable and it's an incredible thing the most incredible thing in fact that I'll ever own and there's absolutely nothing else like it and that is the power of our bodies nobody else has my body nobody else has your body and I I can accept that now. That's beautiful and so powerful and so, so incredibly true. It just is. You've just nailed it. That's the absolute truth of the matter. Yeah. (laughs) What impact, if any, did social media have on your journey? Um, I wouldn't say social media had a huge impact as when I was battling my anorexia I removed myself from all platforms as I found myself comparing um and I was comparing my images I took of myself to my real body whereas everything's posed it I was at that I was at that in that headspace where I I didn't realize that I thought that my body should look like that picture. Well, it's not going to because I'm sitting down, I'm slouching, I'm not going to have a tight tight gut. <laughs> but however, once I reintroduce myself to social media, I recognise the power it can have to express yourself. Um, so it didn't, it didn't affect me. It didn't 
spar me into my anorexia and it definitely didn't get me to my recovery but I definitely used it to express myself in ways that I couldn't do otherwise for example I was I was using my post to write my thoughts in the captions or I would capture images which aligned to my current moods or my mindset so it was a way that I could I could distract my disordered thinking through my creativity of creating content or creating images or just expressing myself through my words. Um, I know a lot of people think that social media has a negative impact, especially on the younger generations, but it definitely saddens me to, to know that they struggle to see and understand the benefits of how it can help somebody suffering and social media is a new norm it's it's like a news platform it can be used to educate people it can be used to motivate people it's a tool to express yourself in more ways than one and I think in this day and age people of all ages need to look at the larger picture of social media and realize that it's now a platform that people can use to to recover if you follow the right people for example yourself like we just want to empower people we want to show people that there is a life outside of that noisy noisy mind that they currently live in absolutely it's about being selective as you say and cultivating a feed that is full of you know positivity and that is recovery focused or focused on aligned with your values and the life that you want to be living yes what's there a particular catalyst um, for you opening up about your struggles on social media? Um, I think the catalyst for opening up on my social media was a constant struggle I was facing daily to overcome my mind and forget people's comments of how well I looked or just general comments on my appearance. I was constantly thinking, if only they knew what was going on in my mind, they wouldn't be saying this. Um, but it's hard to it's hard to say that to somebody's face. It's hard to tell them, look, mentally I'm not that well, so keep your comments to yourself. Just <laughs> <Mr>. shut <laughs> up. <laughs> Just stop. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it was just yeah, I just wanted to make everyone aware that just because the weight I had shed had been regained does not mean I am well. So it was easier for me to open up on social media and get the word out that you don't know what somebody else is going through unless unless you ask them and nobody, nobody asks you. Everybody just tells you what they think. So um, I felt I needed to make people aware of the damage that they are causing by saying these comments or mentioning how well somebody looks or whether they've been in a good paddock for example I got told that I was I've been in a good paddock like referring to me as a cow wow (laughs) wow yeah so just those comments that some people would find amusing just some to some people is not no, no. <laughs> I don't think there would be any woman that would like to be told, oh, you've been in a you've good paddock, in- <laughs> you've been in some lush pastures there. My goodness, I cannot even begin to imagine how I would have reacted to a comment like that. Yeah, just nod, just nod. Just nod and smile and quietly walk away. 
<laughs> yeah, so I just wanted to make people understand that you you don't understand what it's like to live in our heads if you haven't experienced it yourself. I wanted to educate people that you're more than your body, you're more than what people say, and you're more than the toxic thoughts that are processed within your mind. And I guess from the get-go, I, well, since I started my social media, I made a promise to myself that I would stay true to myself and remain open and honest to those who follow me. Um, and I thought what a better place it would be to bring light and tell my story on my social media to bring that awareness to eating disorders because it's becoming more and more and more regular within our society. It was hard for me to totally peel my skin away and show just how vulnerable I have been and share my real, raw and honest story. Since sharing that, since sharing my, the small segments of my journey, I've helped girls worldwide through their recovery, um, giving them inspiration and encourage them to keep going. And this is this has all been through the power of social media. So I guess social media can be is so powerful, so, so powerful in the terms of recovery and it's something that I never, never expected would come out of me sharing my story. I was more sharing my story on social media to educate those who know me that, yes, I have gained my weight but I'm still not doing well. Um, or explaining to them that what it's like to be in my mind, um, it helped other girls and that just warms my soul from inside out. Why do you believe that lived experience is so important when it comes to eating disorders and what do you hope to do with yours? Um, I lived experience I think is the best thing since sliced bread. I'm not even kidding. I did not even know that it was a thing. I wish it was a thing or I wish I was aware of it when I was struggling um, because people don't understand. People do not understand what's going on in that mind of yours and I would try and explain my feelings to those around me but they just couldn't comprehend how I was terrified of food and terrified of water I was getting so frustrated explaining to people trying to explain to people exactly what I was hearing in my head and I felt alone all through my journey and I've I totally believe that if I had a coach or somebody who had experienced an eating disorder I wouldn't have felt alone I wouldn't because they would be able to relate to how I was feeling I needed a role model. I needed to idolise somebody who had been in my position and came out on top. I was seeing psychologists and they were just telling me, just eat. Well, I just can't. Like, <laughs> like it's easy for you to say, but I just can't. Um, so with that, I, I eventually, or not eventually, like I've already proved to myself that I am able to do this I want to be somebody's role model I want I want to use my story to show that there that recovery is possible and that recovery isn't as scary as it may seem at the moment even 
even if I can help just one person through this, I, f- I will feel like my job is done. I just, I don't want people who are recovering to feel like they are alone because I can tell you one thing, they are not alone. Um, I want people to, I want to show people the reality that there is life after recovery and help them understand that you will have your bad days and you will recognise your triggers through the way and you will eventually not let that voice that is stuck with you become louder than your healthy mind. There is always hope for you to overcome that feeling that you're feeling right now. What is the most valuable thing that your eating disorder journey has taught you? It's taken me a long time to find this out, but my eating disorder has taught me that there's absolutely nothing wrong with me. I, I am me and I was put on this earth to remain as me. Uh, the best thing about that is that nobody else is me. I've learned to not shrink myself to fit in places that I've outgrown. Um, if somebody is not accepting you or knocking you down, I will remove myself from that situation. I will remove myself from tox- toxicity. If I feel like there is a negative environment and I feel like it's contributing and bringing back those disordered thoughts, I will remove myself straight away. Um, but it has taken me time time to find that out and follow that thought process. Um, my eating disorder has taught me that I, in fact, was not put on this earth to please anyone but myself. And I think that is the most valuable lesson that anybody can learn. Um, in Everybody tries to impress everybody, but in fact, you only need to impress yourself because at the end of the day, only you are going to be there for yourself. Um, I also, my eating disorder has taught me that I can rise up from anything. I can completely recreate myself and absolutely nothing is permanent. I, you are not stuck and I am not stuck, we are not stuck, we all have choices and we all have the ability to think new thoughts and learn something new if you put your heart and soul to it and this is, this is what got me through my recovery. You can create new habits, all you need to do is decide today and never look back. So that was learning to eat, learning to know what the feeling of being hungry is and once you're learning that, you can't look back because you will just go back. It's one step in front of the other. Absolutely. In your opinion, what are some of the best ways that people can support someone who is going through an eating disorder? If, if you've not been through an eating disorder yourself, my advice would be to try and not understand because no matter how hard you try... You just simply will not understand what's going through their head. So instead, become the type of energy that no matter where you are, where you go, you will always add value to those lives suffering around you. Always be there for that person. Make them feel a little less lonely. Give them, give them time to escape their mind. 
when suffering, we need we need somebody to provide a safe and quiet space, a space for us to escape the voices in our heads because sometimes we just need to cry, we just need to let it out because the minds that we live in is just so loud. We feel like that we cannot escape it no matter where we are in a quiet room it seems like it's louder and louder so be the person to distract us from these voices we don't we don't want people to tell us to eat we are well aware that we need to eat but it's the fear of food that has got us in our situation so distract us by take us to a waterfall or take us to somewhere where we feel like we're safe we've escaped it our minds are being distracted don't don't make us think about when the next time we're going to eat is totally distract us from that make it make it feel natural um and also don't look away we're struggling yes we're hard to put up with I get it I've been told that (laughs) you and me both (laughs) (laughs) but just please don't put it in the too hard basket some days it might feel as if you're helpless but we need you we need we need somebody who is just going to be there for us we don't expect you to drop everything and run to our side but sometimes we just need somebody to just pop around and ask how we're going or yeah I think as human beings we've we've been put on this earth to come to each other's aid to take care of each other especially those who we love so just be present in their life when they're struggling and at their lowest point because we need you I completely agree with you I think the power of someone's presence alone not even needing to say anything or necessarily do anything but just the fact that they are there yeah um, and sometimes it might not even be that we even feel like we want to be hugged or anything, but the fact that someone else is there so that we don't feel alone um, can be really, really powerful. And I think there were a lot of moments where I just I just wanted to cry my eyes out and didn't want anyone to ask me any questions or try and you know, make it okay because no one could make it okay, but to just have someone there to hold me while I was crying or to just simply be there while I was crying could be so so powerful because I think in the in their presence and in the fact that they are there that to me was a symbol of of hope of the fact that they believed I could get well and that they cared about me enough to be there in that moment yeah I agree being present is it's so powerful especially when we feel alone people suffering we we feel alone we feel like there's nobody else around us Absolutely. Now, finally, what words of wisdom would you like to leave our listeners with today, especially those who are still out there fighting the brave fight? Uh, I hope you find acceptance. I hope you find the kind of acceptance that rings through your whole body, including your bones, and the kind that quiets that loud, everlasting voice inside of you that tells you that you're not enough. You're enough, you're more than enough, and you will always be enough. I hope you forgive yourself for the mistakes that you have made. You haven't made these mistakes. It's your eating disorder. 
but stay true to yourself. You're a strong individual who has every capability to overcome that devil that has made your mind and soul its home. Praise yourself. You're doing your best. You are human. Do not ever forget that. And remember, you are not your eating disorder. Find moments that you take. Find moments that take your breath away. Moments that change you. Go to concerts that ring through your bones and make you feel alive. Connect with the small things. Feel the, feel the sand between your toes. Swim in the ocean. Surround yourself with the friends that will always be there for you because no matter how long or rough the road ahead is, we all need that support group. Do not, do not push them away. Do not hold back. There is so much in this world and I hope you feel it all. You deserve to feel it all. But most of all, I hope you find yourself out there. I hope you figure out your heart and I hope you figure out your mind and I hope you learn how to be kind to yourself and embrace the journey you're on because you're a brave soul on a mission and you got this. Remember, always remember that you were put on this earth to do beautiful, amazing things. Always know that the food on your plate, how much you weigh, the size of your genes, the shape of your body, have absolutely nothing to do with that. You are amazing, you are enough, and you are more than enough. That is absolutely beautiful, and I know those words are going to help so many people, and I'm sure there will be a number of people that will replay that part of the podcast <laughs> over and over again, and may even make notes about what you've said. <laughs> so thank you for your words of wisdom, Holly. You are truly incredible, and I know that today has been a little bit nerve-wracking because this is the first time that you've shared your story in such depth um, so publicly. So I really want to honour you for that and thank you for trusting me, um, you know, with coming here today and sharing it. And um, I am really, really excited to see what you are going to do with your lived experience next because your story is such a powerful one and you are an absolutely incredible soul. Um, with so much to offer so thank you uh, for joining me today and I am really really looking forward to to what's ahead yes thank you Millie thank you thank you so much you have been an absolute inspiration through since I met you everything that you're doing I just want to follow your footsteps really <laughs> well I'm on board <laughs> <laughs> this is the end eating disorders podcast Brought to you by Lockaway Self Storage and Podspot. Your financial support will save lives. Donate at ended.org.au. I always used to think, like, how can people not hear what's going on in my head? <laughs> <laughs>